Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 87 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week I'm taking a look back at how this season's beekeeping has been for me personally and sharing some of my plans for next year as we head into the long winter haul. and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me firstly this week i wanted to send my very best wishes to all of the beekeepers around the globe currently dealing with the most unexpected and shocking losses of honeybee colonies through both flood and wildfires it's so easy to get caught up with our own struggles in beekeeping and forget that there is usually someone out there having a much more difficult time of it and this month it's really hit home here in the UK as quite a number of beekeepers have been devastated with flooding in their apiaries and have seen colonies literally swept away in flash floods. Those lucky enough to escape seeing colonies destroyed are looking at apiary sites completely cut off and unable to get to their hives. Luckily, it is a quieter time for us and the bees can, for the most part, be left to their own devices for now. And hopefully the water will drain away quickly and those apiaries will dry out. But again, my very best wishes to all of those beekeepers out there. Worse still are those beekeepers currently facing wildfires around the world. I don't know of any specific beekeepers that have suffered losses, but imagine having an apiary site in the path of one of those terrible fires. It can only end in the utter destruction of those colonies and hives, and it must be heartbreaking. If you're one of those beekeepers out there who's suffered due to these sudden catastrophic losses, our thoughts are with you. And if you'd be willing to chat about your experiences on our podcast, then please do get in touch. Here in Norwich, things are very much quieter. We have had long periods of rain, though, but also some sunny intervals. I think there's more rain on the way, but I'm fortunate to have my apiary sites in fairly risk-free locations. It's the time in the beekeeping calendar where not much is happening, to be honest. The bees are settling in their hives. They're still getting out and foraging on the very late ivy and, of course, fetching some water and perhaps maybe going out on cleansing flights. But other than that, the frantic rush of spring and summer are long gone. For the most part, drones will have been kicked out of the colonies. Newcomers to beekeeping won't mind being reminded, I'm sure, that the drones are the male honeybees. They really only serve one major purpose, and that's mating with the virgin queens. However, they are needed within a colony generally. It seems that they kind of keep the atmosphere mellow, and without them, a colony can get quite fractious. I'm not sure if there's any scientific studies out there showing other important roles that the drones play, but their main task is an obvious one. Thinking about why they would be kicked out through the winter, I think most beekeepers here in the UK understand that whilst honeybees don't hibernate in the winter, like bumblebees and wasps, they do reduce their activity dramatically. And with the obvious absence of food availability, it makes sense for honeybee colonies not to waste their time and resources in trying to produce virgin queens, and therefore the need for drones for them to mate with. Add to this the demand on food stores, and you can see why many colonies do kick out their drones in late autumn and wait until the spring to produce more. 
I've mentioned previously that I've seen drones in colonies through the winter months, so I do think that while the majority of drones do get the cold shoulder, there are some that manage to stick around. Of course, I'm not including any colony that has become a winter drone-laying queen colony. So most of the colonies will now be settled down, food stores set aside, and we don't have much to worry about, at least not for a few weeks. That got me thinking about how quickly the seasons seem to come round, and once again I'm thinking about what went well this year and where I managed to mess things up. What can I do to improve on this season, and where do I need to focus? I figured this was a good time as any to share my season with you all as I contemplate the past year. As you all know, I started producing YouTube videos to share my knowledge and show various techniques, and that's grown into not just the Patreon page, but also this podcast and various social media streams, the website and the newsletter. As a result of this, my plan for world domination in the bee farming world has been somewhat disrupted. However, this past season has seen our colony numbers increase, and we're overwintering more colonies this year than last. The early part of our 2019 season promised a very fast start, faster than we've enjoyed in previous years, with very warm early spring sunshine and colonies growing rapidly into March and April. Looking back at our inspection records, we were getting into the hives in early March, way earlier than we would normally inspect. And here's a great reason for keeping inspection records. I can flick through the spreadsheets, checking on the data and refreshing myself on what actually happened. I sometimes add notes about the weather and conditions generally, so it's well worth doing. I remember having some old sage of a beekeeper tell me that there's absolutely no need to inspect colonies before the beginning of May. Now, this beekeeper has been keeping bees for way more years than me, has passed all the exams, is a master beekeeper, and yet insists on telling beginner beekeepers that there's no need to inspect colonies before early May. So here's a couple of notes that I made from some inspections on the 25th of April 2019. Hive 25 knocked down eight queen cells. Hive 28 marked overwintered queen and knocked down six queen cells. And finally, Hive 41 swarmed, created four nukes from remaining frames, each with a sealed queen cell. I don't really understand why some experienced beekeepers insist on telling new beekeepers such rigid rules, such as don't inspect before early May. Beekeeping moves with the seasons, and us beekeepers have to acknowledge this and adjust accordingly, and the books can be just as misleading. One of our new beekeepers at the local club a few years ago read that she could create an artificial swarm in May. She carried out the procedure only to have both colonies die out, The reason? That year, May was very cold, wet and miserable. The bees never had a chance, but she stuck rigidly to the instructions in the book. Now I know for most people an element of common sense might have ruled the day, but when you're completely new to something, sometimes you turn to what you believe is wise advice and follow it. For all you new beekeepers out there, if in doubt, ask someone. And if you're still unsure, get a second opinion. And if you're still unsure, drop me an email. Anyway, back to this season, April was really frantic. We moved colonies to the oilseed rape for pollination. There were around 40 colonies there, and the weather was fantastic. 
This produced lots of colonies wanting to swarm, and we split quite a large number to take advantage of the natural queen cells being produced. I don't know about you guys out there, but I always find some of the very best queen cells to be those raised as swarm cells. Not always, but very often. These can be put to good use, and we ended up with nearly 40 splits and collected swarms. As the spring turned to early summer, we had a period of very wet, cold weather. Colonies with newly emerged queens were confined to their hives for what seemed like weeks. The result of this appears to have been twofold. Firstly, many of the colonies we had split to make up nukes had failed queens in them, drone-laying queens. Along with this, we discovered that there were several colonies beginning to exhibit signs of chronic bee paralysis virus. The development of both the drone-laying queens and the CBPV are something of a mystery to me, but looking back at the prevailing weather conditions, we did seem to get caught out by the colder weather. Many of the colonies at the oilseed rape were on pallets close to the ground, and the grass was growing up around them, and this may have contributed to keeping them in a damp, cooler condition. All I know is that at the end of the pollination period, we had a total of 23 drone-laying queen colonies, various nukes and full-sized hives, and another 11 colonies suffering from chronic bee paralysis virus. I imagine we would have come out of spring with a massive increase in colonies and strong full-size hives to go into the summer foraging period. Instead, we ended up nursing colonies that for the most part had swarmed or been split, resulting in drone-laying queens and CBPV. It was all a bit frustrating, really. We did, however, get a really good crop of honey from the oilseed rape, and that was extracted as we moved the bees from the pollination fields back to their respective fixed apiary sites. The challenge for me next was to find a way to rebuild those colonies and still produce a reasonable crop of summer honey. I took the decision to build colonies at the cost of honey crop. As I've said many times before, you can't produce honey without strong colonies and a decent nectar flow, so there was no point in trying to get depleted colonies to store excess nectar as honey, and there just weren't enough bees in some colonies to even fill a brood box, let alone draw comb and fill it with honey in the supers. One of the plans for this season was to produce our own supply of queens to replace and renew older queens and colonies, and this took on a totally different objective now that we had so many colonies that were depleted and had drone-laying queens. The failing queens were removed and all the bees were split into BS honey two-in-1 nukes. These were given either new virgin queens or queen cells, and unbelievably, we managed a 90% success rate on mating from that batch of queens. I put this down to the summer conditions of fine dry weather and plenty of forage for the bees. Nothing to do with me, really. The chronic bee paralysis virus colonies were all destroyed. I know that sounds terrible and it wasn't the nicest thing to do, but the previous year we had just one colony suffering from it and I tried all sorts of ways to bring them back to health. That colony, in fact, is one that's featured in several videos that I've posted about chronic bee paralysis virus. And that colony is still alive in a nuke box on my allotment. It has the same queen, a yellow dot queen that appears to have survived all season without the need to swarm, yet unable to shake off the CBPV. I don't know if they'll survive this winter, but I've put an awful lot of time and resources into them. And as a bee farmer, albeit a small-scale bee farmer, I couldn't justify doing that for lots and lots of colonies. 
I'm hoping that in removing the virus, I may get back to a position of very, very low rates of infection for next season. The biggest success of the year in terms of a beekeeping was undoubtedly the queen rearing. In fact, we were so successful, we ran out of boxes to put the queens in and had to stop raising queens quite early. My method this year was grafting. I had intended to use the Nico system, but I found grafting into the Nico cell cups so easy that it just made sense to select frames with larvae of a very young age and to simply graft from those. I had two hives set up to act as cell builder colonies. One of these was a single commercial brood box, made queenless and constantly given frames of sealed brood to provide new nurse bees to take care of any larvae provided. This worked really well and we had several batches of 20 grafts at a time go through the hive with a reasonable successful rate. Something around 12 to 15 cells out of the 20 were drawn out and capped off. These were transferred to queenless nukes after being capped and as I mentioned earlier we had such a fantastic success rate with them we had to stop grafting for a while. The other cell builder colony, a maize more commercial polyhive, was set up as a double brood box. Still queenless, but with the cell bar frames going into the top box, I wanted to see if they could develop more grafts on a double brood box setup than the single brood. It would seem to make sense really. More bees means more resources, such as royal jelly, to feed the developing queens. What I found was that we had about the same success rate in terms of developed queen cells as the single brood box. Other than the double brood box, everything else was the same. Extra frames of brood added at the same time. No additional feed above that which was given to the single brood box. That said, it's just as well we didn't produce masses of extra queens, as I had nowhere to put them in the end. I'm really excited about queen rearing for next year. The experience I've gained over the last few years has been really valuable, and with the stock that we have now, I'm sure we'll be able to produce some excellent queens. All open-mated, British stock, no imports. Obviously, being open-mated means I can't control what drones mate with them, and the resulting genetic traits are always interesting to see. But being able to produce so many queens allows me to select the best-tempered bees, and that, for me, makes beekeeping a pleasure. I'm sure you'll have seen our bees in the videos I've posted, and while I may not ever be able to inspect them without a veil, I'm very happy with the general temperament of them. The upshot of our queen rearing programme meant we were able to get back to our spring numbers and add quite a few to the total, so that going into the winter we have a mix of full-size colonies and nukes. The nukes are a mix of commercial, national and Langstroth, housed in both poly and wooden nuke boxes. The autumn treatments and feeding went really well despite the recurrence of my back problem, and I'm so pleased we were able to set everything up in good time. It always surprises me how quickly... August seems to turn into November, Blink, and October has somehow managed to sneak through between them, and now we're already working through the tasks that need sorting so that we're ready for next season. Looking back at my plans for this season, I missed out on one particular target, which was to build a top bar hive and house a swarm in it. This winter, I plan to make this a priority so that next season we can give it a try, and of course, I'm going to document the process on camera. The single biggest event of the year has undoubtedly been the loss of colonies to drone-laying queens and CBPV, both of which, whilst annoying, were mostly beyond my control. I think if I were to learn anything from the experience, it would be that colonies kept close to the ground need constant maintenance to keep the airflow around the hive. 
I do think the grass in the margins around the field of oilseed rape grew so quickly around the hives that it may have contributed to keeping them damp and susceptible to poor mating and the CBPV. Other than that, I'm not sure I could have done anything different to help, except maybe learn how to control the weather. The losses set me back this year, but like all beekeepers, I'm certain that next year will be bigger and better. I plan to sell some limited stock of nukes and queens next year, so do take a look at the website in due course for more information. Another project for next year is to expand the number of apiary sites we have, and I'm already discussing a number of potential locations here in Norfolk. The pollination services we delivered this year seem to have been well received and there's talk about us helping out again, so I need to take another look at how we set up our colonies on the pallets, maybe switching to collapsible wooden stands to lift the hives further away from the ground. I'm sure there will be other projects that will get me interested over this winter and I'll no doubt update you as we get into the new year. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for all your comments and support. And if you're not yet familiar with Patreon, do catch up with more of my beekeeping journey by checking out the content list on my creator page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. Have a great week and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.